Gracious God, we pray that you would do once again your miracle. Take the words of my mouth, take all of the meditations of our hearts, and even the reading of your holy scriptures and transform these into the living word. May we sit under that word and once again commit to being your disciples. Commit again to being in relationship with you. Amen. The reading from the Old Testament this morning comes from Psalm 31, verses 1 through 5, 15, and 16. In you, O Lord, I seek refuge. Do not let me ever be put to shame. In your righteousness, deliver me. Incline your ear to me. Rescue me speedily. Be a rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. You are indeed my rock and fortress. For your name's sake, lead me and guide me. Take me out of the net that is hidden for me, for you are my refuge. In your hand, I commit my spirit. You have redeemed me, O Lord, faithful God. My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and persecutors. Let your face shine upon your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. The New Testament reading is from John 14, 1 through 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And I go, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you unto myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show me the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and in fact, will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, if in my name you ask me for anything, I will do it. Bless the reading of his word.
So in a book that C.S. Lewis uh, wrote, uh, that in the preface, he wants to make sure that this is just an expression of fantasy. He imagines uh, the separation between people in heaven and people in hell, and that those two regions are bridged uh, by essentially a bus that anyone in hell can take on any day. And if they stay on the bus, they actually can be with Christ in heaven, uh, the great divorce. It's a fascinating book. Um, C.S. Lewis, again, would be the first to say that, look, this is just me thinking, right? But one of the passages uh, that now I must have read, oh goodness, 40-some years ago, that still sticks out to me is on the bus were a bunch of theologians. And they are excited to explore heaven. But as the bus takes longer and longer time to bridge the gap, they realize that if they stay on the bus, they will miss, I think it is their Thursday night theological roundtable. And they get off the bus and they ride another bus back. Charles E. Moore, in his book, Provocations, Spiritual Writings of Kierkegaard, says, the speculative thinker makes Christianity into theology instead of recognizing that a living relationship to Christ involves passion, struggle, decision, personal appropriation, and inner transformation. I would change this quote just a little bit. I wouldn't say the speculative thinker. I would say... The person who wants control. Turns Christianity into technique, proposition, perspective, tradition. Whatever's happening on Thursday night that you get off the bus for, rather than having your schedule delayed to journey in a living relationship with Christ. In our passage, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And he can just see Jesus going. Jesus said to him, to Philip, I've been with you all this time, Philip, and still you don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Now, if you were needing a proposition, this is a good one, and that is the Trinitarian proposition that God and God's nature is eternally in relationship. God doesn't create relationship. 
God is eternally in relationship, which means theologically and propositionally that the most solid thing in all of reality is the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I think what Jesus is trying to say here, or at least John is trying to say as he remembers this conversation with Jesus, is that do you not see me in relationship with the Father? And as you see me in relationship with the Father, you see the Father. This is how Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now think how we make that all something different when we turn into a particular theology or a proposition. Have you accepted that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? As if that's any of our business in the first place. What side are you on? And yet, if Jesus eternally was in relationship, is in relationship with God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit from the beginning of time, how could Jesus be anything but the way, the truth, and the life? There is no other possibility. And how could there be any other possibility that there is a way to God except through that relationship? I think sometimes in our own insecurity, we turn this passionate phrase of Jesus Christ on the eve of his death to his disciples and through them to all of us into a way that we can position ourselves as better than, better than other religions. I don't think Jesus is saying any of that. Jesus is saying... Because I am eternally in relationship with the Father. This is the better way, and there is no other way, and you're invited into that way, and that way is the truth and the life. The Trinity is a living relationship. Our faith is a living relationship. As human beings, as fallen human beings, relationships are the hardest things we ever do in life. Someone once told me it's easier to hit a fastball to be, than to be in a relationship. Because we have this inkling that God should do it our way, right? Maybe we just made that up since the Burger King commercial. Remember that? When you had to do it McDonald's way, but then all of a sudden... Have it your, have it your, you remember that? Like the 70s? Weren't we in disco then? We sort of think, well, it can't be about relationship because relationships are hard. They're fraught. They're difficult. We don't control them. When we try to control them, they break. It's about theology, perspective, stuff we do. But in the end has nothing to do with living relationship, has nothing to do with the triune living relationship. And here's the tell. Here's the tell. The stuff that we make the faith about in order to control is not worth dying for. We won't. 
we have to repair three elevators. You're going to die for that? That's the tell. The great psychologist Eric Erickson wrote that, um, that adolescents are desperately in search of meaning and the way that that is best understood for them is something that's actually worth dying for. The irony there is if you find something that's worth dying for, you find something that's worth living for, that's worth risking everything for. Jesus described this not in terms of dying so much, but the pearl of high price. Think about how many stewardship campaigns we've had which have been essentially apologetic, if you can afford. Would you please? And that's because we often organize ourselves around things that we control and we're comfortable with, and none of them are worth dying for. What are you worth dying for? I often tell my students this. I would like to say that when I married Pam, I was willing to die for Pam. If I'm honest, I would say no. But when my first child was born, yes, for the child. Wonder what was going to happen when the second child was born. Maybe that was just sort of a weird thing with the first child. Yes. I'll die for my children. In a second. Now, having found something worth living for, I think that I would die for Pam. I think I would. And maybe some of you. Not because I should, not because Jesus asked me to, but because those relationships are worth dying for. That's what Jesus is talking about to his disciples in John 14. Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used this insight of Erickson and said, if a person has not discovered something that he will die for, he's not fit to live. I remember when the home of Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King was bombed. And the common wisdom would be to protect. And he simply emerged and continued to do what he was doing and wanted to reach out to the community that was implicated with the justice and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. I don't believe for a moment he did that because of a should. I don't believe for a moment he did that because he thought it was good strategy. I think that he did that because he was in that triune relationship and knew Christ relationally as the way, the truth, and the life. And when that happens, you know what you're willing to die for. And you know what you're willing to live for. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, 
blessed Thomas, right? Thomas is so much us. That's us, right? I'm not going to believe unless I see the marks. Lord, we do not know the way you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I'm the way. Follow me. Follow me. And if you know me, you will know my Father also. So our faith is really about living relationship, not cognitive theology. That puts me in a really difficult position as your pastor. I'm better with cognitive theology. I might even be able to seem to deliver cognitive theology. I've been to many of those Thursday night meetings. There's absolutely nothing I can do to speed your relationship with Jesus Christ. It's all up to you. It's completely up to you. No one can do that for you. But I can gather us. I can call BS on BS. And I can point us to the Scriptures. But that still leaves me in sort of a vulnerable, easy-to-replace position, doesn't it? Maybe that's one reason why we tend to slide away from this. Barbara Brown Taylor, um, in her book, Walking in the Dark, she says, if you're in the dark, if you don't know the way to go, if, as I mentioned this, it's up to you, and you're like Thomas, like, what do you mean it's up to me? What on earth? What do you mean it's up to me? How do I possibly know the way? Barbara Brown Taylor says, it doesn't mean that you failed, that you've taken some terrible misstep. She says, for many years, I thought my questions and my doubt and my sense of God's absence were all signs of my lack of faith. She says, now I understand that's how the Spirit works. That's how the Spirit works. Do you know why I know that I'm willing to die for my children? Because I often feel disconnected from them. I often look at them and I sort of think, where on earth did you come from? And if I'm not thinking that, I'm thinking, what on earth are you, are you doing? And why do you think that's okay to do that? I know that I'm willing to die for my children because any and every rupture with my children is of eternal significance to me to heal. It's not because they mirror back to me in some narcissistic way that I'm great. It's because, at least in the way God created me, they're the real thing. But they're only as the real thing for me, just a shadow of Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. It's in the rupture that we know. It's in the not knowing that we know, that we discover. Jesus is telling them this right before he's going to go away. Frederick Buechner puts it, faith is better understood as a verb than as a noun, a process rather than a possession. 
It is on again, off again, rather than once for all. Just like a relationship with my children. I don't know if you're like this in relationships. I sort of go, I'll go home today before I catch the plane, and I'll sort of go, well, how are we doing now? I don't know. That's why they're so absolutely important. That's why that space between that we cannot control, that we reach out in, in love and interest and vulnerability, we receive hurt and misunderstanding, and we come back again with tenacious solidarity. That's why that's the We were created for that stuff. That's soul stuff. That is eternal stuff. That's worth missing the Thursday night meeting for. I was thinking about that. I was thinking about this yesterday when I was out riding. I was riding with two other people. And see which one you are. So Ben and Bradley. So when you do a ride, you sort of put together for other people to see if they want to come to it a map that sort of goes over what your map is going to be. And you can download the map then to a fancy computer on the front of your bike that works about as well as ChatGPT, which means it works maybe about 80% of the time, and then there's 20% of the time when it doesn't quite work, right? But that's okay, because there's always a ride leader, we'll say a good shepherd, who actually knows where you're going, Ben and Bradley. Bradley downloads the map. Ben is just simply AFTR. AFTR along for the ride. Bradley is asking me constantly, why is my computer not telling me where to go? My computer tells me to turn around. As if you're going to turn around. What are you doing? And he is just wedded to this computer. And I'm sort of the ride leader, and I just want to say, hey, sheep, I got this. And Bradley, the whole time, is along for the ride. Which one are you in your faith? Which would be healthier? Which actually would help your participation in the vast greatness of that eternal relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? God is not a destination. God is the way of life. God is the relational journey of life. And that is the way that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why we celebrate communion. In our tradition, we don't celebrate communion because we feel like... Um, we're doing this to please God, or that God commands this, although he does. In our tradition, we believe this really is bread that I bought at Trader Joe's, and who knows where they got it from. And this really is grape juice, and I'm not quite sure what's in here, but you know what I'm saying. And yet we also believe that through God's miracle, Christ is spiritually present in this. 
In some ways, the bread and the blood is a metaphor of those relationships. So when I see my children, they're really my children. They smell like my children. They do strange things like my children. But Christ promises to be there. And it's always a spiritual thing. Even in the most ruptured, aggravating moments. This is why we celebrate communion, to remind us that there is no part of our lives that is separated or siloed off from Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. So friends, as you come forward, may you once again enter into that relationship, because no one can do that but you. On the night that our Lord and Savior took bread, after giving thanks, he broke it, and saying to his disciples, and through each of them to us, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, after supper, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant sealed in the shedding of my blood for the remission of sins. Boy, do relationships need the remission of sins. Like all the time. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim to the world that our Lord and Savior died. That he knew what it was worth dying for. You. And we proclaim that to the world. But he will come again. And we will be with him again. And we will be with all of the saints again. Because that is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen. Pam, who's helping celebrate communion this morning?